Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, it's good to have fun in church, isn't it? In our gatherings, it, it is good to have fun. And um, who's, who's really enjoys fun? Yeah. Who's some of us who find it harder to have fun? Yeah. Don't ever ask me to arrange a game. In my previous posting, Pastor Phil would be like, yeah, I want you to arrange a game. And then they asked me once and we didn't do it again. <laughs> there was too much prayer and repentance involved in the game. I think it was too serious. <laughs> hey, uh, we start a new series today, which is exciting, calling it Faith at Work. And um, we are really looking at this concept of how our faith is lived out each day. And how that every single day God has commissioned us as his people to allow our faith to be outworked in a way that it actually reveals him. Uh, When we think of evangelism, some of us get very nervous and think, oh gosh, I've got to invite someone to church or talk to someone about faith and in my work situation. and, And that's not what we're talking about. I think sometimes what we think we need to do in evangelism um, is actually quite the opposite of what God needs us to do. Sometimes we need to speak less and live more. Um, Sometimes we need to let the convictions and our values be shining out of our lives in the way that we treat our colleagues, our friends, our families. And in that, they will see our good works and glorify the Father. This is what Jesus would say about the way that his culture and and his life would shape ours. And so today I want to talk about that in the context of families, Um, in the context as being fathers, but also just as families and friends. And so today, being Father's Day, um, is a really important day that we honour. Understand that we can see it in the world that commercialism can get hold of anything and it can kind of become token, right? But you've got to remember, these things were not commercial ideas. The heart of these celebrations actually started within church services. Mother's Day began as a service, People saying we need to honour the great gift of mums. And then this girl is in this context and she's celebrating, but she didn't grow up with a mum. She grew up with a single dad. So she went to her pastor and said, hey, we need to start honouring the dads in our lives. And unbeknownst to this woman, long to his church history, there was these days called Father's Day where they would honour the fathers of the lineage of Christ and what they had done living out their work faithfully. And so when we celebrate these moments, they're not token. They're actually really, really important. But in the context of our world, they can be really hard. Because Father's Day can mean a lot of different things for lots of different people. Depending on your upbringing, what you experienced. And so we do, we honour fathers today. But I think we should also honour single parents today. Go ahead. Honour some wonderful single mums. Wonderful single dads. I think we should honour grandparents today. Go ahead. (laughs) Some of you are carers here today. The child you look after is not biologically your child, but you stepped into care and love for that beautiful child. You should be honoured today. There are aunties and uncles and family members who have stepped in to help bring up our kids. Some of you also have had 
a really hard childhood. And it's a really challenging relationship with your father, your earthly father. But today can be a day of healing for you. I don't mean that literally in today, everything of your past is going to be resolved. That'd be nonsense. But that today, your heart can be softened to begin a journey. I remember being in a service, we were in the context of a men's conference, and we were talking through fatherhood. And at that point, my relationship with my own dad was not really great. And he'd come with me to this conference, and God spoke so clearly to me. It was a really hard moment, but after the service, I went up to him and I, and I apologized for what I had to own in our relationship and failing at that point. And it broke something between us in a healthy way. Something shifted in our relationship and it's still to this day on a journey of healing and wholeness, but there has been a softening in that place. And I'd encourage you that it's never too late for you to take the first step of bringing healing and reconciliation. And I'm not going to oversimplify that because that is very complex for everyone. Everyone has a different story and different complexities in this space. But it is a moment where we can stop, recognize the day, recognize what it's doing to our hearts, and let the Holy Spirit come in and do something of healing in us. Amen? Amen. So... As God's people, the people of faith, we want to live our lives in ways that reveal Him. This is our faith outworked in our everyday. And this not only means we become more fully like Him and experience the life and freedom He offers us, but it also means that we then become an example to those around us and we shine like light in the darkness. In Matthew 5, Jesus said this, following on from his teaching of, of how the people of God were to live. He said this about this type of life. He said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor, no, one, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for a whole all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, women, everyone, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There is something that Jesus promises us that, in a sense, we have to take him at his word here. Because I know, having not always been in full-time ministry, the concept of me living a Christian life without saying a lot, but just through the way I live, and that somehow doing something in their heart that in turn will somehow turn their heart to... It can seem a little distant, can't it? But that is not our job to question that. What Jesus is asking us is to get on with the purpose of outworking our faith through the way that we live, and there is something dynamic happening in this place where people recognise where they begin to see a difference. I remember a guy in my workplace that I was praying for for a long time. He's this beautiful clinician that I worked with in, in the outer home care sector as a social worker. And he was very far from anything to do with God. But I was consistent in the way that I loved him, the way that I was patient, the way that I was kind. I did my very best. One day, he's going through something, he comes to me and he says, hey, 
You know I'm not a religious guy, but would you send one up to the big guy? I said, sure, let's do it right now. He said, well, right now. And all I did, I'm honestly terrible at this. I'm the worst evangelist. So don't ask me to come and evangelize for you because it's just not, I'm a gifted. Some just have these stories that are just so powerful. My prayer was so bad. (laughs) And he's like, God, thank you for, Brendan, pray that you help. I open my eyes, he's crying. You have no idea what your kindness your patience, your love is doing in someone's heart. So this is what we want to do. We want to simplify this thing so that we can live every day on purpose. Sound good? Okay. So we've been in Ephesians, and I'm going to continue in Ephesians if I can. Um, and this, this whole context of Ephesians is about this new creation that we are becoming, which then means we become a new community, And the new community needs to live in a way that outworks this new code or a new way of life. And so this is the story for us today to to link into that, that we are new creations becoming a new community in our families. And in this family unit, for it to work and actually to feel new and to feel like God is doing something, we have to start living by a new code. And so I want to take us uh, in the the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians rather, right towards the end where Paul begins to reorientate some cultural codes around family of the day. And we're going to reflect around that. But in Ephesians 4 to 5, he's been talking about unity as one body, putting off the old self and the way of life and putting on the new self and becoming this new creation, living therefore as imitators of God, particularly in selfless love. For them to not live in darkness, but to live as people of the light, people who now see the way of God wants him, uh, us to live. And therefore, we must be mindful and pay attention to our way of life, Paul says, being wise and aware, not going with the flow of the culture around us, but living out the kingdom culture, which is upside down sometimes. Not stumbling through life like people in darkness, or he goes on to talk about people being drunk and uncontrolled, but filled and led by the Holy Spirit, living intentionally in the way that we treat each other. And so this is where we're found in this passage in in Ephesians 5. As new creations in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to complete this recreation in us. And so in Ephesians 5.18, he says, and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's reasonably prescriptive. But understand this, that when Paul is being prescriptive, he's not just trying to say, don't get drunk. He's speaking to a culture, a way of life, that would rather be completely ignorant of their duty in in this world, completely ignorant of how there is a God who wants them to live in perhaps a different way, and rather being just completely ignorant and living in darkness and stumbling through, actually receive the revelation, the light. And what I mean by that is, and what Paul is, is saying is like, take it and appropriate it in your life. It's not just that Jesus is the king, yay, and Jesus has a new way of life. No, that now means something for us. That means we now take on this light and let it be like a flashlight that begins to direct a new way of life. So don't get drunk. Don't be in darkness. Don't be stumbling around. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear or reverence of Christ. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be submerged in Him, to completely surrender our lives. This is the image of baptism. It's like, Lord, I need you. You can be full of a lot of stuff. Some of us are full of some things that aren't great. And it becomes a euthanism that people say. Because the way we live is indicative of what we are full of. So Paul's saying, hey, don't be like everyone else. Be filled with the Spirit and therefore let your life look like that. And so this way of living filled with the Spirit is to live aware and in touch with His presence. And in prayer, we let Him guide our lives. So if you're going to take anything today, and I pray you take something, I want, you to, I want you to think about this. If you want a strong family, if we want strong families in our church. If you want to be a part of a strong family, if you want to be in strong relationships and community, we must submit to God and His lead and in turn submit to one another. The key to healthy relationships in the context of Christ is our ability to humbly submit to God And then, in love, submit to one another. Now, the key for this to happen, the key to keeping humility a reality in our daily lives, I think, and what I'm drawing from this text, I believe shows us, is prayer. Prayer. Now, if we are humbled in our daily lives to come before Him, and be filled with Him, and say, Lord, I want to follow Your way of life. Lord, I need You. So, Holy Spirit, thank You. You have filled me, and now help me to live like I'm full of You. Help me to live directed by You. If we do that, our lives will be ones that edify one another. They'll be lives that overflow in worship and thanksgiving to God. Man, I don't know about you, but when I come here, and we get to worship together, it's like It's just an extension of what God's always doing in my heart. It's just this overflow of gratitude to Him. And that is so freeing, friends. And if you're yet to unlock that in your own walk with God, that's okay. We're all on a journey, but I'm telling you, that's the place He wants you to be. Pastor Phil used to say it was like this cork of champagne that gets popped in his life every morning. And then he just flows all day, just with this gratitude to God. That doesn't mean we're like crazy, and not the realities of difficulties in life don't stifle that, but there's something of joy in our heart that is easily overflowing in thanksgiving. But here's the key thing. We can also then become people who voluntarily submit to God and one another. Ken's um, image of the cross for us today, in all of its wonderful detail, is very true in, in the sense that what we see in Christ is that's what victory looks like. So, so of all the ideas of what the cross has done in our lives, all of the different approaches, we can look at atonement in terms of what God did in the exchange. The thing that I think we need to surrender everything under is this one idea, which is Christus Victor, meaning Christ is victorious. 
He won the war. And he won the, the war that is raging between God and his people in terms of rebellion and loyalty to the king. And the way that he won it was through death. So in our relationships, the way that we win peace, in our working relationships, the way that we win out is not striving and fighting, but rather relinquishing and surrendering. And I know that sounds crazy, but to the foolish, it does sound crazy, but it is, it is life. To those that are perishing, it's crazy. But to those who are being saved, it's actually life. And so in the message translation, we're going to look at the rest of these verses together as Paul unpacks some of these cultural family codes. Okay, are we good? Good, all right. He begins with, be courteously reverent to one another. In verse 22, wives understand and support your husbands in ways that show you support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife in the way that Christ does his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should submit to their husbands. Now, husbands go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They really are doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. We go on to verse chapter 6, 1. Children, where's my kids? You are. Where's all the kids? Are you ready? This is yours. Do what your parents tell you. Yay! This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. I used to think that meant my mum will kill me if I don't listen to her. Which she could. Mums are ninjas. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that we want you blessed. So the direction of a parent is actually to extend your life and to ensure it's a good one. But in the same turn, it then says to parents, and particularly fathers, fathers, do not stir anger in your children, irritating them with harshness demanding respect, but bringing them up in the ways of God and by implication in the way God leads us. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the ways of the master. Now, this is really important that we understand in this, in this code that's going on here. What we need to notice is that submission is not demanded but earned. It's, it's reciprocated. So in the culture of the day, for Paul to say, women, listen to men, and children do what your parents say, duh. Because men had some pretty crazy leniency. I mean, there is not a lot of laws protecting anyone in this kind of society. And it was heavily in favor of men, right? So for us to pull this text wildly out of context... And go home saying, wives, you should submit to your husbands, is completely missing the point. What you'll notice, 
Paul addresses a cultural issue and then follows up with the responsibility of the men. Wives, respect, because your husbands are going to be the type of husbands who love you and put you first. And everyone in this day, not today, in this time went, what? That's different. Children, listen to your parents. But not because they're your parents and they're better than you and they're up the social status more than you and you just mean nothing. No, because they have a responsibility to love and bring you up in a way of God that you would be so blessed. And by the way, dads, do it in a way that makes them want to follow you. That, that makes them feel like you're on their team. That makes them feel like you're not just here to kind of push some endless rules that just mean, no, you actually believe and love and cherish them. If you do that, you will have this wonderful culture in your home of submission that is reciprocated. This is what Paul is talking about. So that we, as families, love each other. Now, the context of love is important. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he gives two very clear verbal definitions of what love is. There's a whole stuff that it's not, but he says things, two things that I think is brilliant. It says, love is patient and kind. And? Nope, that's it. Love is patient and kind. And what we need to remember as parents, that love is patient. What you need to remember as children is love is patient. Be patient for your old dad, your beautiful mum. Dads, be patient with your kids. I think the miracle of God's love is not just how self-giving it was, is that, that so many choose to reject it and he so patiently waits. He could come back any time. And at that moment, for those who've rejected God's love, it's no longer good news. Yet he waits. And, and, and Peter says that, that his, his waiting is his kindness. This beautiful, patient, kind love that gives people room to grow and change together. And in this mutual submission of love and patience and kindness and respect, when we love and respect each other like this, honoring the roles we play and living to serve one another, we will experience the peace that's cultivated by unity. The psalmist was so blown away by this phenomenon when they saw unity happening in the dynamic of family. They said, it's like God commands a blessing over it. There's a peace that you can have in your homes, in your relationships, as you learn to submit and surrender and have unity. Not uniformity. Not fake unity. My way or the highway. No, genuine unity where you can disagree even in a family unit, but love one another enough to respect each other and grow and move in the way of the king. Not in our preferences, but in our purpose to reflect him. And as we do this, we have this unity that cultivates a peace. We'll experience the security of trustworthy and resilient love. You cannot underestimate the power of your thereness, dads, of your resilient love. 
it's like if it's there, you see kids thrive. If it's absent, you see the whole bottom just drop out. There is something so powerful through our consistent, resilient love. It creates a security around your kids that will hold them, around your friends that will hold one another. We'll experience the genuine joy of a family who live led by the Holy Spirit. And it is. It's a genuine joy. It's not always happy. (laughs) doesn't mean there's not issues. But there's a joy. So how do we get there? How do we have this in our homes? Well, I think, again, it's hard but clear. We all need to surrender. Jesus said, no greater love has he than he who lays down his life. That's the image, is die first. It's this constant giving over. And so we're not like those in the dark going with how we were just following the way that we were brought up or how your friends treat their parents' kids or how your friends speak about their spouses. But actually we live in the light. We live by the new way that leads to life, the way of love and submission to one another. And so we all need to surrender humbly every day to him so that we can then surrender to each other. And this is why prayer is so important in your life. Prayer is not about getting enough ticks. It's not like, oh, good, tick. I was a good Christian today. What I've come to realize about prayer is I can only do this, this way of life. And I'm like, a, I, I, I'm always like, P is degree, right? Like, I'm, I'm a pass, okay? I'm not perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination. So we're all on common ground here. The thing that actually enables it is prayer. Because prayer requires humility. I pray a prayer every day. It's called the Jesus Prayer. I like it because it's very simple. It says, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I like it because it doesn't start with Savior, Genie God, to answer, no, it's Lord, King, I'm yours. Remind this selfish, rebellious sinner who's boss. If I can do that and fall on my knees in that, things will flow differently. Your world will be radically different. When Paul wrote to Timothy, instructing how people should worship, and we'll finish here. He says this to Timothy in in his letter in 2 verse 8. It says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. In a culture, and this is the same today, where we are taught 
that what you need to do is save face. You need to be right. You need to fight for what's right. You need to take control of your life. You need to take what he's saying in this sense is this gripping of trying to control everything. You need to every day at every place, let go, lift your hands and say, help. And if you do that, Something happens to your heart. If you start praying for your family every day, particularly if you're going through something right now with with your family, don't look at the person. That's not helpful. (laughs) Just look straight ahead. Yeah, yeah. The other guy. It's DK's issue, not mine. I'm telling you, your heart in prayer it will get so soft. What I've noticed about my, my walk with the Holy Spirit is I don't need to be drunk on wine if I'm drunk on Him. I generally mean it. When God gets in your heart, things happen weirdly. You get all soft and gooey. You ever met a really, not an angry, but a really generous drunk person? Aren't they nice to be around? <laughs> oh, I love you, man. They throw around around when I'm, in, when I'm in his presence and he softens this hard heart, now this is for men, but it's for everyone. It only works if it's reciprocated. It's not going home saying, Yeah, dad, you need to pray more because you're such a jerk. No, kids, you need to pray more. You need to go home and every day start, Lord. Help me to love my mom and my dad because sometimes we don't see eye to eye. And the, and the weird thing is, is while you're doing that, dad's over here praying, Lord, help me to love my kids because we're not seeing eye to eye. And God does something in that. And then wives are saying, Lord, please just help us all because I don't know how this is all going to work. And there's a softness happening and you're cultivating something in your family, which is submission. And when you're in that place, Life will still happen. People will still get sick. Suffering will still occur. Trials will still happen. Your kids will still go through something. Your dad will still go through something. But you'll have a unity that holds you. And my prayer for our church is is the same prayer every time I pray for you guys. Lord, make us one as you are one. There is something happening in this culture of becoming one. And I encourage you to extend that today in every part of your life, but particularly in your family. So if you wouldn't mind, before we leave today, we're going to pray again together. So if I, if I could, could you, could you stand with me? And we have our wonderful teenagers over here who are all very look, looking very cool and very awesome right now. And we love them very much. But right now, I want you to go find your families. Now, again, please hear me. I know today is different for everyone and maybe you're not even here with your family. Adopt a family right now. Everyone, just find someone to... And please don't let anyone be standing alone. 
If, if you're a guest, by the way, and this is all a bit weird, feel free just to tap out and say, hey, I'm good. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, just, just say, yeah, yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. Look at you all. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, you're going to be okay. If you can keep this, you're going to be fine. Ken and Steve, can I get you to come pray with my family? I would love that. That would bless me. Now, dads and men, first, if this is okay, I just want you to put your hands on the people around you and pray for them. Good on your Wayne. Just pray a blessing over this family. Go for it. Start praying for the men around you. Just start lifting them up. Kids, pray for your dads. Wives for your husbands. Friends for the men around you.
Beautiful. Well, if you like, you can grab a seat. You can stay praying together together if you need to. That's fine. Is that good? Yes? Special? Good. All right. We're pretty much done. But before we go, I want to do two more things. One is just correct some incorrect philosophy slash theology. If you are here as an older parent and not all your kids are following Jesus, don't go home today thinking, I missed it. Because some of you have loved them the best you could. And what you can do now is pray for their journey ahead. All God asks you to do is steward what's in your hands. When Jesus, when God finished creation, he said, this is good. Sometimes we're going for A, A++. Stop that. Be good. Love your kids. Show them. But eventually they need to work it out themselves, okay? And so don't go away from here in shame or fear. Go in faith. Saying, I'm, and now if you're sitting here also going, hey, I've been missing it a little bit in my family, whether you're a kid, wife, husband, friend, brother, sister, whatever, again, wrong theology to go from this place beating yourself up. That's not the point of conviction. That's condemnation. It's different. Condemnation makes you feel smaller and like you're guilty and wrong and it pushes you down. Conviction rises you up and a shift in your heart to actually go and live differently. So go out of this place with great conviction, not condemnation. Okay? Because that'll eat you up. And the God will turn... God, the other guy will turn things that are really good. He'll turn it around and twist it and twist the knife. So give him the holy bird and pray more. (laughs) Now, um, the last thing I want to do, and I'm sorry, Steve, if this is okay, but... um, This week will mark for Steve the first year of the passing of Janelle. And, mate, I just wanted to say again how much we honour her, her memory. I mean, looking at the wonderful things that are happening even in our kids' ministry, there is just signs of her everywhere in the fabric of this church. And so this week, I want you to be praying for Steve. And I want us to reach out to him every now and then if you have relationship with him, connection. But let's pray for him right now. Is that all right? So if you're around Steve, just put your hands on him. Father, I thank you for this mighty man. Lord, we just lift him up to you today. We thank you that, Lord God, we don't have to be lost in our grief, but rather from a point of reflection of all that you have done through Janelle's life and indeed continue to do through their life. We honour him today as a dad who is doing this journey really well. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would lift him up in his heart. This week, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd walk with him. We thank you for him, his beautiful kids, and all that you're still doing through this great family. And Lord, we lift up everyone here who may be going through Moments of trauma and in this day, maybe it brings up things that are really hard. I pray that you would just come. Let your peace and your presence fill us as we go from here. Help us to be your hands, your feet, your heart in our work this week. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks, Benny.
Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.